Good morning, welcome to the latest edition of the Evolution Exchange LinkedIn Live. I'm delighted to be joined today by Eamon Shane, Senior Project Manager at South Central MSCSU. Looking at a topic today all around transforming primary care. I think we've got a, a, good, a good conversation to come here, Abe, but it'd be uh, great if you could sort of introduce yourself and, and what it is that you're doing at the moment. Yes, yeah, so Ben, first of all, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate this. Um, and so my name is Abe McShane. I'm a Senior Project Manager at Anisha's CW, and I've been with them since April 2022. And that stuff. Um, yeah, obviously, introductions out of the way, just a little bit of sort of admin, uh, just to remind everyone, having a, a little, little watch, if they do want to ask questions as we go, please feel free to comment on the chat. We'll obviously try and respond uh, as we go through when they pop pop up to ourselves, but uh, Abe's, I'm sure, willing to go back after the call if we do miss any, just to sort of iron out any uh, any sort of answers that come through and obviously expand um so I, I think if we sort of get into the sort of the real day-to-day of, of what it is you're doing with scw sort of you know why have you joined i know that the one year mark is is fairly close i believe in terms of how long you've been there it is it has been so i transferred into scw from the csu collaborative so the collaborative was made up of four csus nel arden and gem next um and an scw so we were supporting london shared services because they wanted to disaggregate their services um, and in-house um we also managed kent suffolk north hans um and sussex so it was um we're managing all those customers and, and london wanted to disaggregate so the collaborative was formed to support that my role at the time was very different to what i'm doing now it was a hybrid role and it encompassed service management, um, technical operations, project management, and primary care service delivery. It was a challenging role. Um, we had minimal resources to deliver services. Um, we had exacting KPIs, and it was, uh, I loved it, but it was incredibly challenging. I learned a lot. Um, reflecting on that period, I think I'm incredibly grateful because I worked with um, a lot of people across um, multiple regions, across different um, disciplines um, and it helped develop me um, and also throughout that throughout that period my personal professional development was carefully monitored and supported by my by my senior management team and so I was allowed to to develop across all those different directorates and I learned a lot um, and I really I really appreciated that um, around April time um, I transitioned into SCW there was a uh, there was a period where I was still working on the um, transition of services from um, the collaborative into the different regions because there were staff that I managed that were going into Nex or Arden and Gem. So there was a lot of loose ends to tie up. Um, and through that period as well, then I had to look at different options for me. There, was, there wasn't that hybrid role within SCW. So I had to look at what do I want to do in my career? And it was quite disconcerting at the time, to be honest. But um, in Sussex, there was a senior PM role, so they tried to recruit to that role, I think, and had been successful. Um, and I met with the with the DPM who was recruiting to that post and had a candid uh, candid conversation with her. And so I had, I think it was six weeks to complete my um, project management and MST qualifications because I'd already had the, um, a lot of experience around hybrid roles, around my hybrid role, and also doing some project management, but not the actual qualifications. So I did those within six weeks, went through quite a stringent um, interview process, 
and then and then got the role and then moved moved straight into it interested yeah really a uh, intense period i imagine that six weeks by the sounds of it <laughs> brilliant stuff um so I, in terms of what you're doing at the moment specifically with scw um i think a lot of people will be sort of interested to know uh, you know how you're sort of um collaborating with the sort of on the ground sort of gp services size of your team you know what is it that you're, you're sort of budget managing yeah absolutely so at the moment we're we're streamlining so it, rationalizing services for um, for the ICB in Sussex. And what that means in practice is things are changing. So, you know, COVID, you know, changed the landscape uh, in primary care. You know, we, we released a lot of mobile devices so that um, clinical staff um, and practice admin staff could continue to deliver primary care services um, and patient care services. So what we're looking at is allowing them to be more mobile and also as part of that, looking at efficiencies. So rather than having, for example, a desktop in a practice and then across different sites, looking at what would benefit them, you know, would a would a laptop be more suitable for them? You know, having their own having their own mobile device. For example, nurses that work in, in the community, wound care, diabetes, would a two-in-one device be more suitable for them? to allow them to have the facility to update data sets and, and patient data while they're, with, uh, while they're with the patient. So we're looking at, um, at streamlining services and looking at how they work. Each practice is, is, is bespoke. It's completely different. No two practices work the same. So I have a team of nine engineers, which doesn't sound like very much, um, to do this. And it is, uh, it is incredibly, incredibly challenging. But they're meticulously organised. I have a good team. I have a good project a project team, and we we go into the practices and we and we deliver those services. So how it works initially is we need to evaluate the site. So one of our senior technicians goes out to the practice and evaluates how they actually work. So for example, Ben, do are the rooms mixed use? Is space a premium? So when you think about um, a surgery, you know, People who don't who don't understand the primary care service delivery or how practices work might um, presuppose that they've got the space. You know that every doctor's got a room. You know clinical staff have got access to whatever they need. It doesn't actually work like that in practice. They share spaces sometimes. Space can sometimes be a premium. Admin staff may sometimes use clinical rooms. So we need to be very careful in how we evaluate how they use those spaces. Because if we're taking away devices, that may then impact the practice. Because if clinical staff use the same rooms as admin staff, um, and that fixed static device is no longer present, then that may cause issues. So we have to be very careful in, in how we evaluate the spaces. We also have to um, understand how they work. Do they have primary care staff, PCN staff that work there? Do they have R staff? Do they have registrars? Are they a training practice? Now, funding streams for those different uh, for those different working staff is very different to what we're doing. So the rationalization and funding stream is separate to all of that. So we have to understand who's working at that practice, what they need, and direct them accordingly. Because for the practices, they just assume that we will deliver everything, and it's not always it's not always the way. So we have to be very careful when we do that. It's really interesting, isn't it? How each individual GP, it seems quite obvious, will operate in a different way 
going forward, even when you're trying to sort of, you know, roll out a, a solution across a region, you kind of, it sounds like you have to adapt and be quite agile in terms of how you go about that. We do. And, and also we have to be very careful in who we, how we structure our teams and who we send to the practices. So for example, when you send somebody to a, to an office or an engineer to an office, they, you know, they assume that I've got that space. This person can, you know, can, can leave the space for an hour or two and I can just work on installing what software they need, um, you know, uh, looking at the infrastructure, the hardware and doing all of that without being interrupted. However, in, um, in a primary care setting that it doesn't work like that. So the engineers have to be prepped and understand a clinical environment. So for example, they may be, they may be working in a clinical room. So setting up the hardware, setting up the infrastructure, the software for that particular um, clinician. However, if that clinician then enters the room and says, I have an emergency clinic, I need this space back, they have to ensure that they give it back within a limited time frame and that it's set up for them to be able to see to see those patients. We don't have the luxury of um, you know, um, having spaces for extended periods of time or having the monopoly on those spaces. So when they're in the when they're in that setting, I'm just very conscious that patients are there, you know, clinicians are there, you know, they, they need to ensure that, you know, security is monitored, that, you know, they've got access, you know, they may have access or they may see patient data. They need to, they need to ensure they inform somebody, you know, can you please log out of everything so that, you know, I've only got access to to your device. And so they have to be very considered in how they they approach that. So it's important that we have the right people on site to do that. It's it's um it's a, it's a really important issue, isn't it? In terms of a lot of people will just think about GPs and the fact that they can't get a time slot, and obviously a large emphasis on the recovery period and optimizing going forward to get more people seen by doctors. You sort of provide these solutions, and then it's not really kind of a case of not too thought much about afterwards. Um, you know, what's the practical and implications of that going forward you know what the the real sort of challenges even as you mentioned there sort of space um i guess what i'm keen to know is sort of what challenges are you are you sort of outright facing at the moment you know what what is the one or, or a few by the sounds of it that are sort of keeping you up at night i think for me at the moment uh, ben it's the the nhs landscape is ever-changing um, and as you know you know um you know, recruiting and, and, and meeting with all of us and, and having those relationships with, with professionals in this field. And I think for me, it's having the right talent across our teams to enable us to adapt to their evolving needs. So, I mean, even in the past the past year alone, things have changed drastically in how services are delivered, in, in what they need and what they want. So as we're um, adapting to their changes, I think mitigating patient risk is, is always at the forefront of my mind. I'm conscious that they're there to deliver services to patients. You know, it's, it's emotive. It's not just technical. It's an, it's, it's an incredibly emotive field. So we have to understand that when we're delivering um, core IT services. The technologies that we provide to them need to be fit for purpose. So a lot of our primary care colleagues and clinicians aren't really technical and they're compelled to use these solutions. So we have to be we have to understand that they need to be able to use them and utilize them in their in their everyday roles. 
Um, it's also important to me that, yes, I appreciate that, you know, budgets are tight and ultimately, you know, for, you know, for the decision makers, it's, it's a cost saving, cost saving exercise, but I'm just very conscious that it's also about the delivery of services. So it's important that, that they have what they need. So it, it does, it does keep you at night, you know, knowing that we're going into, we're going into these practices and we need to ensure that we deliver what they need. Um, first and foremost, so that they can, you know, provide patient care services. It seems like there's always going to be one eye on the future months. We seem to always be looking at winter pressures and when they're going to kick in. And then even when we're out of winter pressures, it's all year round pressures. And it's a never ending battle against the timeline, I imagine. It is. So Ben, you know, practices are now seeing, you know, increased number of patients. So, you know, some practices are seeing double the patients that they used to see. And we've got we've you know, got one practice in in Sussex that's got twenty five thousand patients on their books. And I think it initially it was about about fifteen. Don't quote me on that, but I think that was um that was a significant increase. So for me it's ensuring that they have the right equipment, that they have the right solutions to enable them to deliver those services to patients because they're under incredible pressures. They really are. Um, and I'm just conscious that the teams that we send in understand that, that they uh, understand that environment and, and deliver what they need. Then not to, digre- not to digress, but I know that um, Manish, thank you, has asked if there's any formalized user, user research um, conducted and coupled with the service design. No, if I'm honest, Manish, there isn't. And so we, the preliminary work that we do is key to delivering these services. So for example, we meet with practices 15 to 18 weeks, even before we um, are going into the practices to do any sort of evaluation to understand how they work. So do they, do they use locums? You know, are those locums on site? Do those locums work remotely in different parts of, um, you know, different parts of the country? You know, how are they serviced for IT and, and hardware? So, you know, you know, what equipment do they use? Do they do they use their own devices? You know, how do they how do they remote in? So there's lots of things we we consider in the preliminary work before we even get to the stage where we have the device allocation proposal. Once we've done all of the prelim work and we've done site evaluations, we meet with the practices then to understand um, their staffing or how they're structured around staffing. You know. Do they have enough clinicians? You know, do they have remote admin staff? Do they outsource that part of their service? Um, and then that will then determine what we propose to them and how we um, how we um, install those solutions into that practice. Yeah, it's really a really interesting point there. I mean, I guess one thing that I would be keen to understand is exactly what goes into you know what the key factors that you have to determine. You mentioned a couple of there in terms of the current state of the GP and, and what they're looking to do. Are there any sort of key factors that yourself and SCW look at and providing service and solution? Um, but at the end of the day, again, as I said, it's 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 around each practice and, and each practice is, you know, is bespoke. So do they, for example, and one practice may have a high number of um, specialized nurses that work in different disciplines. So diabetes, wound care, and they and they may have a high percentage of going out into the community. Having a, for example, having a standard laptop is not conducive for them. 
they would need a two-in-one device um, with a touchscreen to enable them to um, add the data sets that they need rather than because you, you look at the functionality around it and how it would work trying to balance the laptop on your lap while you're in somebody's living room is is not going to work is not going to work so we, we look at that um again do they move between you know different organizations so yes they're scw and, and we support them but for example do they go to care homes but you know are supported by a different primary care organization you know how will their device work over there will they be able to access you know the solutions that they need so we 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 look at all of it you know it's really in depth in in how we understand what they do um, and then develop that solution solution for them um sometimes we may we may go in and you know it can be incredibly complex so then what we do is we you know we defer them rather than you know trying to implement something um it's a short notice we then we then move them um further down the schedule you know and we reevaluate our scheduling because I think it's, we've got 158 practices in Sussex, um, including branch sites. I think it equates to about 214 sites. So it's a significant number. Yeah, definitely. No, that's a that's a very large number with a lot of challenges that come off. How is it? How is it received? What what is the kind of the main challenge in terms of? Because I've I've been on previous sort of LinkedIn lives and seen conversations that as important as technology is going forward if it isn't used on the front line how we want it to be used then there's always going to be a battle and i'm just keen sort of interested in, in your take in terms of what you've been doing since you've been there and, and generally you know i appreciate it's just for the one sort of region but is there any sort of takeaways that we can sort of see in terms of how it's received no absolutely i mean it's i, I think this this um rationalization program and will be rolled out i think across most um, ICBs across the country um, eventually. It's been incredibly divisive and quite challenging um, because it's a different way of working for them. And what I mean by that, Ben, is you've, you've got clinicians, GPs, practice staff who have you know a laptop at home and, and a desktop in a practice and then maybe another desktop in another branch site. So they've never had to work in this way. They're just used to turning up and then logging into that particular device and using the solutions that are available to them. You know, having one device and taking that with them everywhere they go has been a learning experience for them. And, you know, people are resistant to change. You know, people don't like changing, changing how they work. And I think it's getting them to understand the benefits, you know, the security benefits around having your own encrypted device and the benefits of, you know, in not slowing down. So for example, if you've got a desktop with multiple users logging into it, it can eventually slow down with all the profiles on that device. Um, also, nothing changes on it. So you can have it set up to you, you know, exactly how you need it. Everything's set up in the way that you do. I mean, like for all of us, you know, we, you know, generally we will have our own, our own devices and we're incredibly attached to them. So it's just changing how they think and explain the benefits to them. And I think once the practices that we have streamlined, they, they, they really like this new way of working and they found it incredibly, incredibly useful. Um, I mean, there are other challenges around um, printing. So printing has always been a, a contentious issue. Um, and I think moving to a mobile way of working, we've had to reevaluate how they print um, because uh, most practices have a USB printer in the room and also a label printer. Some rooms have multiple label printers. 
um, to allow them to print labels for different um, for, for the three different trusts in, in Sussex. That has been incredibly challenging um, to work around that, to work around um, the print solutions. It's um, it's funny that you kind of think that they're they're moving away from 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 paper. You know the whole agenda around EPR and obviously going forward in those different areas of the NHS, but the fundamental still paper on the front line at GP level is, is something that we're challenging. Is, is there a kind of an IG, you know, a GDPR risk that goes with that? Um, the CQC's preferred method then, so the, the Care Quality Commission's preferred method for printing is um, a, centralized, a centralized print option, so a locked print option. In Sussex, they utilize a lot of leased print providers. So you have four leased print providers in Sussex, Netbox, Arc, Zeratech, and United. Um, and so they, you know, they, they lease these printers from, from those providers. Um, the stipulation is that in each room, the printer, the, the script print tray has to be locked. Um, otherwise, the room has to be lockable. You, know, you, have, you have to be able to lock the room. And that's the stipulation. To ensure that it meets with, um, you know, the IG, um, IG governance. So we're, you know, we're trying to, you know, move away from having individual printers and having, you know, a centralised locked print um, because that's that's the preferred method. It also saves costs for the practice, energy costs, you know, running costs. So that's that that is a, a great option for them. However. You know, it, it all depends on the practice. It's it's you know their it's their decision. We can't compel them or or enforce how they um, how they utilize that type of service or that type of solution. If they want printers in every room, that's entirely that's entirely up to them. Um, but it's you know we we try and you know provide them with all the options available to them and the benefits of the different options. Sort of a slight education piece as as you go with each sort of individual. Uh... GP by the sounds of it. And you mentioned before, obviously, around sort of managing that resistance to change. Um, I appreciate it be different, you know, stakeholders. What what's the sort of the senior level take in terms of rationalisation process? I think for them, and they they need to see the evidence that there are financial benefits to to rationalisation, but also evidencing improvements to processes and how practices run. So. For example, you know, at LNC, you know, our GPs feeding back that, you know, things have improved for them because we've introduced solutions and um, mobile working um, initiatives that facilitate improvements in patient in patient service care delivery. So, you know, they they look at that that type of feedback because you know those are the important people, those are the people that are delivering those services. And if they if they're feeding back that, for example, administrative tasks are reducing or their working hours are reducing because they are they're more they're more mobile, you know, they're practicing feeding back to each other that there's been a significant improvement in how um, they process patients, then that's fantastic. You know, we we know that the solutions that we're introducing um, and the way that we're streamlining is working for them. Interesting. I, I imagine different people with you success and the effectiveness of uh, GP service rationalization in different ways depended on who they are and and their level absolutely absolutely you know for um you know we've been challenged by you know by some GPs understandably so because it's too high working for them and they work in a specific way so 
you know that that's understandable and you know in those instances you know we we meet with them you know we review what they're doing and how they're working and then breaking down the improvements to them so that they can actually see 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 the benefits they're not compelled to do any of this and so i just want to clarify they're not compelled to do any of this and if we review excuse me a practice and their way of working is efficient and effective then you know we're not going to you know we're not going to change that we'll just you know introduce solutions that may be better for them so as you said as you touched on earlier you know are they using you know eps you know are, are they still printing out their prescriptions you know we'd, we'd guide them on that so it's just about looking at them and, and and seeing how they're working and making sometimes just slight improvements yeah leads on uh, quite nice in terms of what i was thinking next in terms of you know the future and future trends that you foresee in sort of rationalization of gp services you know how, how can you sort of prepare for them what do you still see on the horizon the horizon i think then so um well the immediate step um in the future is something like robotic process automation i think that would be incredibly useful um to practices it's something that we were looking at as part of the collaborative um a piece of software called blue prism so and what i mean by that is just taking something as simple as a practice calling you know an it service desk for a password reset or for example they've just had a new member of staff start immediately and they needed an account for them to enable them to work so we've got a new gpn you know they need to see patients etc normally they would call you know the the old ways of working is they would call a service desk and wait in a queue now ideally you'd want instance being reported by telephone not service requests to enable a swift response and to deal with that incident so we set it up that they could use their nhs mail account because it's got multi-factor authentication they'd log on to the itsm and raise a request so they'd be authenticated via their um, nhs mail account and then within five to seven minutes it received a response with the account details it was it was as quick as that i think um i've spoken to to some of my colleagues that were part of the collaborative and now moved on to next the accuracy now around that so it can do password resets account creations disabling accounts processing levers i think it's about 85 percent accuracy now which is which is really really good so i think initially you know rpa is probably going to be really useful to our primary care customers um and then further down the line probably ai will be will be a will be a big one um how that looks right now i don't know maybe it'll take over the world i don't know <laughs> it's funny we do i've done a few of these like the lives now where we always seem to find a, a spot for ai uh because i think it, it's very much the public eye the forefront people wondering how it's going to you know hopefully improve services going forward um where are SCW up to in terms of their robotic process automation? I know that the I know that the service desk leads are looking into that. So it, it's something um, I think that you know they are they are investigating. It's definitely an option for them because um, I think it will be incredibly useful, especially in that in that environment. Um, the service desk, um, yeah, I think it'll be incredibly incredibly useful. I mean, for example, I mean we're all time poor. We're all really really busy. So for me, I, mean, I don't I don't call my practice. Um, I use eConsult, which is you know an online an online platform where I can you know, detail what's happening or what, you know the issues that I've got, 
and then it's processed, I think, within 24 hours. Um, and if need be, somebody will either call me and or message me and say, we've you know, booked you a blood test or you know, we've booked you an appointment. So I find that incredibly, incredibly useful. And I think, um, you know, moving forward, I think that type of technology for people who are really busy is going to be incredibly useful. For example, even referrals, you know, I get them on my phone, you know, I log into, you know, my patient services account and, and, and view it that way rather than having bits of paper sent. So I find that incredibly useful. It feels like the, the sort of silver lining that came off the back of the, the you know, the pandemic was the, the appreciation for new ways that technology is going to help us. Um, the virtual wards and the you know, the e-consult, the e-hubs just kind of set the precedent going forward. And it's, it's great to see that organizations are sort of expanding on that and not just using that as a one-off to get through at the time, you know, obviously what was an extremely difficult period for, for the NHS. It, it, it's it's good to sort of hear and see that, you know, people are driving it forward um, into different aspects of, of how they work. Absolutely. I think then, you know, we, we need to view technology as, as a tool to improve services. And I think, you know, um, in the NHS, absolutely, you know, let's utilize it um, to the best of our abilities to improve services because services are stretched everywhere. So let's see what we can what we can do to improve them and make them better with the solutions that, that we've got. Absolutely. We've had a, a really good sort of overview there in terms of, you know, what SCW and yourself are doing for, for the GP side. One area that I kind of wanted to expand on with yourself is with the technology you're using and the leadership role, does one take precedent over the other? Do you have to be sort of technical to be a technical leader? No, Ben, I don't think you have to be. Um, so, for example, I'm very fortunate in that I have around me some really, you know, some really technically proficient professionals. So they have all the technical knowledge that I need. I think as a, you know, as a leader in a technical environment, you need to be empathetic. You need to have an understanding of what what the customer needs, because being really technical is great. However, do you understand what that customer needs? Because especially around healthcare, it's very emotive. You know, patients um, are often frightened, you know, worried, concerned about their health. You know, if they're going through tests and they have diagnoses, yes, it's great to be technical around the solutions that support that. But I think as a great technical leader, being empathetic, being kind, you know, understanding how they feel, having a high level of emotional intelligence, I think those are skills uh, and characteristics that are more important around leadership than being technical, because in a technical environment, you're surrounded by SMEs um, all the time. You've got subject matter experts on on every level of technicality, so you don't you don't need to particularly be technical. Yes, you need to have an understanding of you know of how it works, but I don't think you need to be technical. Interesting. Like it's um yeah, good sort of overview there because I know that with your sort of background and where you've come into and what you're doing and fundamentally the solutions being driven by technology how much does that take away from obviously the leadership side at the balance i imagine um so no really really good insights for you personally and what scw are doing i know that they're as an organization really collaborative and how they work so it must be quite um you know helpful to know that you've got that to fall back on um depending i imagine that the idea is to sort of expand in the type of work that you're doing into to other regions Oh, absolutely. So I think Ben, for me, um, so for example, what Sussex have got six, just over six thousand, you know, primary care professionals, um, and around ten thousand devices. I think Kent, it's more like nine and fourteen thousand. 
So you know, it's 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 a lot, and then, and there are you know there are many customers that SCW support that could benefit from from rationalization. Um, I think for me, you know, the next stages for me is looking at things strategically. So that's that's one that's one avenue that I look at moving forward. Um, but no, there's there's definitely a lot for us to do here. Definitely a lot for us to do here. I've definitely kept very busy. <laughs> that's good to hear. Um, that, it's it's interesting that you sort of mentioned there that it looks like they'll be they'll be growing it into other other parts of the country with the uh, the chief rationalisation kind of priority that will come off the back of the recovery. I know we've talked a little bit of this, you know, away from the, the LinkedIn Live, but what do you think is a kind of a, a good strategy in terms of going about recruiting for for this going forward? So it's obviously a lot in the in the news about sort of NHS. Um, the levels of recruitment, the merger that's taken place with NHS England recently, with NHS Digital, Senior uh, Health Education uh, England in terms of the senior personnel, the the you know reduction headcount there. H- how do you think SCW yourself and, and other organisations best to sort of approach the recruitment going forward? Ben, it's um, glad you've asked me that because meeting with yourself and NHS Evolution, I almost had an epiphany around around recruitment you know and it you know it almost seemed obvious after you know speaking to a meeting with you how 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 we all recruit and how it's done you know it's been done historically it's, it's quite archaic you get a you know you get a piece of paper you get a cv from an agency you know you you read that cv they look you know somebody has the skills that you need you meet with them for half an hour an hour through an interview process but you don't really get to know them and i think that what you're doing and how NHS Evolution look at recruitment is incredibly innovative. You know, building relationships with people and understanding what they've done, you know, uh, the roles that they've done, how they work, their personality type, you know, their characteristics. I think that is an incredibly um, effective way of recruiting. Um, and what I mean by that is, for example, you know, Ben, you might receive a request or I might contact you and say you know I need somebody to deliver these services I'm looking for this type of person you know through the relationships you've built um, you'd under- you'd have a better understanding of somebody they may not necessarily look good on paper or have you know or you know sell themselves that one on paper but you'd have a better understanding of what they've done their background what they've delivered the challenges they've been through um, and they would be, and they would be a good fit for that particular role. So I think recruiters possibly need to start, you know, changing the way that they, um, you know, the, the way that they look at recruitment and the type of um, the type of people that they submit for roles. Because I think building those relationships and and understanding somebody and what they've done and their personality is incredibly important and effective moving forward in this, you know, in this challenging, in this challenging environment when you recruit. Yeah, it's, it's something that kind of evolution pride themselves on. Um, not to go too much into the evolution side, but I think long-term goals and how they're going to go about the, the, the strategy behind the recruitment can't just be throwing anyone into a position and hoping that, that they kind of work out. You need to have that thorough process and, and have that understanding of exactly what's needed. Um, sounds quite simple, but um, obviously if, if you want into expand and, and build up new areas with GP rationalization you, you need the right workforce in a timely way so no it, it really nice comments there so thank you for that it's, it's good to sort of you know see 
that we're both sort of looking into the future in the same way of the best way of, of going about recruiting, um, which kind of gets a bad reputation at times. But I think we need to sort of almost approach it in a way you know, that is collaborative as much as the organisations collaborate in the NHS. No, Ben, absolutely. Um, and I think I touched on it earlier. So then you'd have an understanding, you know, if you've met with me and you know you understand what I'm doing and the challenges that we face in that primary care setting. So if I approached you for, you know, engineers, having somebody incredibly technical is not going to be conducive, particularly for that environment. It needs to be somebody who is patient, understands, you know, understands challenging customers and how to manage them. Um, empathy, you know, so you'd need somebody with all of those skills because they're more important than somebody just being technical. Um, so, and I think then you'd have that understanding after meeting with me because when you approach a recruiter and you say, yeah, I'm looking for, for example, project manager, or I'm looking for a primary care service delivery manager or an engineer, you know, the, the initial thoughts are, well, you know, they do that particular role. Need somebody who's Prince too qualified, maybe has MSP, let's get somebody in. However, when you actually look at what they're recruiting for, then it changes your perception of what they want. And you have a better understanding of what they need, and so I think that's that's something that that's something that needs to change within the recruiting space. And as I said earlier, it's something that you know you're doing, and I think that's incredibly innovative and much. Yeah, easier. yeah, you, you can't recruit off four bullet points. Unfortunately, that's kind of <laughs> it's really good. Really can't. <laughs> it's kind of uh, how, how I've always seen it. So uh, no, it's it's good to hear that uh, people in the organisations that you're dealing with kind of you know coming around a little bit that sort of way of thinking um, I think a really good way to sort of finish up uh, the LinkedIn Live obviously we've had a great overview about sort of what you're doing in terms of obviously the GP rationalisation and we talked a little bit on recruitment and your project work there if anyone's wanting to join the NHS what advice would you give? Wow okay um, joining the NHS um, do you know what man in, in, in a lot of ways it's a vocational choice in, in the sense that uh, you need to be prepared to adapt. You know, there are some really challenging situations. You've got to be able to endure them. You know, we've got imposed limitations in the NHS on resources, um, and you need to be innovative in how you utilize those resources. Um, you know, being able to adapt quickly um, and effectively. I'm always incredibly humbled by my by my NHS colleagues, especially those, you know, in, um, in front, front tracing roles. The patient care service delivery incredibly humbled by them it's 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 not it's not a it's not it's not a um, industry that you want to join if financial gain is your motivation but if you want to be able to learn in an incredibly challenging environment have skills that will make you relevant um across you know across most sectors then i think the nhs is definitely an area to go into I, mean, I for one love love working for the NHS. I've worked in the private sector, um, and it's incredibly challenging here. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I've I've developed and learned so many skills, and I've been able to do so many different things. You know, I've evolved from a hybrid role into into product management, um, and who knows what's you know what will come next in my in my career. But I've been able to do that within the NHS, and I don't think I would have had that opportunity elsewhere. I'll bring some notes. Really good to hear. And been resilience. You've got to be very resilient <laughs> to join the NHS. Yeah, I can imagine that's probably the key word. <laughs> for, uh, 
from top to bottom uh, going forward with the pressures they're going through at the moment and then just that relentlessness to keep going and, and improve care for everyone it's um, yeah interesting isn't it in terms of the reflection period this week with the 75th anniversary of the NHS is kind of uh, sorry the birthday of the, the NHS is I think a good good period to, to take stem of how far it's come but obviously what we need to be doing to support it going forward um, so yeah good to get your sort of insight there for, for the future generations that will help obviously bring uh, bring the NHS on um, I think that's obviously a really really great insight um, you know I've what just thank you for, for taking the time I, I know obviously it's, it's not always easy to talk about you know specifically the project work and what it is you're doing at the moment especially the challenges um, so know what to, to thank you for that and it sounds like this is the start of something that we could be seeing a lot more uh, in the news, obviously in the recruitment side of things with GP services going forward. Um, so, you know, flagging around sort of uh, the different technologies and, and RPA and AI. Again, AI. <laughs> and like yeah, I said, it's, again. It's, 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 it's every call, it's, it's coming back. So, yeah, no, like I say, thanks uh, so much for making the time. And um, yeah, fingers crossed it's uh, looking to expand the work you're doing with SCW. Thank you, Ben. Um, and, you know, happy to support my, my, uh, you know, my colleagues and, you know, if anybody wants advice or guidance, I'm always happy to, always happy to help. Um, I've been incredibly, incredibly fortunate to, to have met so many, so many, you know, um, amazing people, really technically proficient, really good at, good at what they do. Um, and so, yeah, if I can help in any way, I'm more than happy to. And I appreciate, appreciate you taking time to speak to me again. Thank you. No, that's great. Let's speak soon. Yes. Take care. Bye-bye.